Well, guys uh, and gals, we're going to open up the Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, I was just thinking of how uh, Don was one of the first people I met when I came to interview at this church. Uh, And I think Kevin was in the foyer, and he was the first guy I met. And then I came in, and I sat right behind Don Chafee, and I'm pretty sure he turned around and said, you have a beautiful singing voice. And... um, uh, and then uh, as I um, taught, kind of in an interview type teaching, uh, he was so encouraging and came up and just said, oh, I just hope it's you. I hope it's you. And then they hired another guy and kicked him to the curb. And then it was, no, I'm kidding. They didn't. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Don actually used to work with NASA during the Apollo missions and was part of the uh, crew that um, helped with the sealings of the doors during those Apollo missions. And so when it was 11, Apollo 11 was, uh, you know, the accident that happened there. He took that very near and dear to his heart because he denied the, um, the door for approval, but it was approved anyways. And so those astronauts were, and I just remember, oh man, such a, such a honor for Don and the history that he has with our country and the NASA missions. And I don't know if he would have wanted me to share that, Don, I'm sorry. I know it's a tender spot to you, but, um, but, man, a neat brother here that if you can shake his hand and, and just love on him before he leaves today, there's so many wonderful things about this friend, and, and uh, we're going to miss seeing you frequently, Don, that's for sure. Um, but uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and uh, you've been sitting there for a while, so why don't we stand together and, and we'll read this. I'll read it, and while I'm reading, you can do some, like, quad stretches and, you know, sciatic nerve stretches. Um, It says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of God, amen? Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. (laughs) Imagine you're part of some sort of experiment. Uh, You're taken to a room that has nothing but green walls around you. Nothing but green walls. And, and as you are immersed in that green, uh, you're, you're told to go to a door. You go through the door, and you're in another green room, only this time the green is just a little bit more blue, and it's, it's something that you aren't able to notice. Uh, then you move to the next room. That room also is a little more blue than the last room, so on and so forth, until finally uh, you come to this room, and, uh, and you're handed a, a card with the original green uh, color there. And you would be able to notice, man, I'm in a blue room. I'm holding a green card, and I never even noticed. And, uh, you know, that is kind of a picture of what happens when we begin to not cling to Jesus Christ. And we begin to uh, be drifting away and led away by our own desires and by the cares of this world. Uh, it's the picture of the, 
you know, the frog that if you just toss them into a pot of boiling water, they hop right out. Yowza! You know, they're out of there. Uh, but if you were to put a frog in water and, and turn the heat to where it slowly came to a boil, they'll die because they don't notice that it's happening. It's just this gradual thing where they, they just, it's imperceptible to them. Uh, and that is what happens to us when we are connected tightly to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, where he is the source of life and truth. And we just kind of go out and try to make it on our own in this dark and wicked world. Uh, so often it's just, it's the slow thing. And I've seen it hundreds of times, really, where people think that I can make it on my own for a while. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're worshiping at another table. They're worshiping at another God. Uh, they are completely in denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to a Timothy who was one of his disciples. He knew him since he was 15 years old, uh, since Timothy was 15 years old. Now Timothy's a pastor in Ephesus, and this is called a pastoral epistle. It's a letter to a pastor uh, teaching Timothy how the church ought to conduct themselves in the house of God. And so here we have just a warning to this pastor of the great falling away or the great apostasy that will take place. And look in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul starts this chapter with this interesting phrase that the Spirit expressly says. Or the Spirit expressly says. You know, uh, ex expression. It's, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit is saying something that we need to listen to. One translation says the Spirit explicitly says. You know, it's kind of the, hey, look up here. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Are you listening? Okay. In the latter times, da, 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 da. You know, those of us that have kids, we know that well. Hey, Russell. 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 Oop, eye contact. Right? Nope, back, back, back. Okay. Um, in a sense, that's what the Lord is doing to us here. It's in a clear and detailed manner where there's leaving no room for confusion or doubt. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. It's a biblical way of saying that this is the word of God. This is scriptural. Uh, there's some ways of, of looking at it that it's actually Jesus saying it. Just as in the book of Revelation, when Jesus writes the letters to uh, the seven churches, it says in Revelation 2.29, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then Jesus go on, goes on to speak to the churches. And so it's expressly clear, explicit, that in the later times or the later days, and, and you know, at the time that this was written, the idea was that, you know, the day of the Lord was from the uh, first coming of Jesus uh, till the second coming of Jesus. So kind of this period we're living in, in one way or another, is considered the last days. We're living in the last days. We're living in the end times. And as you study scripture, that gets even more and more severely evident that, like, Jesus is is imminently going to return and so we look up regularly come lord jesus come quickly it's the latter times it was then peter would speak of that that you know and just tell us hey the lord just being patient he doesn't want anybody 
to perish, but to come to repentance. But he's being patient. He's, he's postponing that end day because he's a patient, loving, redeeming God of salvation. And so he tells us that in those end days, some will depart from the faith. And if it was happening in Paul's day, how much do you think we're seeing it in our times of the end times? A, a latter time departing from the faith. This word departing from the faith means that individuals will be caused to rebel against Christianity. They will fall away from Christianity. They will depart or forsake or keep away from Christianity. The NASB says they'll renounce the faith. They'll renounce what can be trusted about who Jesus is and what he desires revealed to us in the word of God. At the beginning of our study in 1 Timothy, in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he says, you know, the purpose of what I'm writing to you is that we would have love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So love uh, from pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. And then he said this, from which some have strayed and turned aside to idle talk. And so I've been, some of you know, I've been trying to memorize 1 Timothy as I teach through it. And I'm just so visual as I, I write it down. I say it three times. I write it down. And then I say it from memory. And then I go to the next verse. I do that. Then I go back to the previous verse, memorized it, say it, go to the next one, blah, 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 blah. But I also have to draw pictures, you know, artwork, try to get it in this thing, right? And I had to write down in my notebook so that, okay, so some having strayed. So there's a path that they're on, love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and sincere faith from which some having strayed. So what's straying look like? You know, those of us that are cattlemen and work cows, you know, you got those ones that are just like, you know, then you got to go back later and go find them, you know. Uh, It's like, oh, we got a strayer here, right? Um, But then we've got just full-blown, some having strayed, having departed. Boom. All of a sudden, there's like this sharp, they're gone. They've strayed and they've departed. And then chapter 1, verse 19, again, having faith and a good conscience from which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. So we have, there's this, we got the truth from the word of God, what can be known about God, who he's called us to be, who he is, and they've just rejected it, and they've suffered shipwreck. I'm not getting into anything about losing salvation, leaving salvation. That's a big, in-depth study. You know, you can go back and listen to our Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, but as I've studied, I've done done deep, in-depth studies and I'm just like, I just, I was, I'm always like, oh, oh, good point. Oh, good point. Oh, good, good point. Good point. Good point. And as I study and study and study, the major, the, the Bible believing authority of the word of God, guys, just say, look, here's, here's the, here's where it brass tacks. You can't claim to be a Christian and practice unrepentant sin. Like the Lord, Holy Spirit's in you. You're in the faith. He's going to be bringing you out. He, you, you just can't. You know, just like everyone would just say, this is not a good place to be in. It's just not safe. Just not a safe place. Just come back to abiding in Jesus. That's a a good, safe 
place to be, all right? Uh, there's arguments on all these sides, and it's just, hey, the Holy Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, there's some who apparently are in some way or another in the faith, involved in the faith, and, and they're turning aside. Having strayed, they've departed. It's no bueno. It's not good. You don't want to be there. Amen? I want to be there. You don't want to be there. Okay? I'm telling you. Because they've given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, this word giving heed to, in the tense, in the Greek, it means they are presently, actively giving themselves over to, considering carefully, devoting themselves to doctrines of demons. Okay? It's the same with the book of Hebrews. If you've left the faith and you no longer are trusting in Jesus Christ as your salvation, whether you fully did, you were born again, or you just were a pseudo-believer and, and you were a fake, whatever, there was some sort of looking like it, all right? But now you're not there. You're, you were, it's the only hope for salvation, and now you're not at the only hope of salvation. It's impossible to restore you to repentance because you're not at the place where repentance is, okay? And you are presently, actively giving yourself over, devoting yourself to, the language speaks of a definite allegiance to deceiving, seducing spirits and teachings of devils. Don't get mad at me, all right? I'm, man, I'm, I'm right, what about, what about, I've looked at it all, and I can just say, let's just read the, let's just read it. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of the devil and devils. Not a good place to be. That's, that's not, they don't teach you that at VBS, okay? All right? Now, when I got married 15, 16 years ago almost, I thought as we go to our honeymoon, I should probably stop by the bookstore and buy myself some reading material. So I bought the collection of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, Miracles. I can't read that. He is so, I'm going back to Chronicles of Narnia. I can handle Chronicles of Narnia, but I, I read a paragraph. I didn't uh, read a paragraph. I didn't read a paragraph. I didn't, okay, that's me reading C.S. Lewis, but I'm reading Miracles right now. But one of those books was the Screwtape Letters. Pretty interesting book because it's written from the position of, it's letters from a chief demon named Screwtape. They all got funny names like that, did you know? Uh, Screwtape, and he's writing to uh, Wormwood. Or do I have that backwards? Okay, thank you. See, I, I can't read that book. Um, but the interesting thing is you're reading this book, and you're reading about Screwtape, and he's writing to Wormwood, this littler demon, and they've got this subject, this guy, and they're trying to get him to fall, and they're trying to get him to turn away, and they're trying to get him to follow and listen to the doctrines of demons, and it's strategic, and it's tactical, and, it's, and you find yourself like, yeah, get him, get him, go get that guy, and, and then you're like, wait, no, this is, I'm reading, this is the devil's book, um, no, bad, bad, you know, um, so anyways, so often we can just quickly find ourselves just like listening to the doctrines of the devil. 
because it seems like that kind of makes sense. And you know, to the world, it does. To the flesh, it does. Our flesh wants that. Our flesh craves that. That's why Eve was like, you know, I want to be like God and know the difference between good and evil. And so uh, we've got this, this, this false teaching going on where it's deceptive and it's spiritual and it's, it's spirits and demons involved. And what was so wicked about it? Well, verse 2 says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So whoever was, was coming and bringing this demonic teaching, they were living life of hypocrisy. Uh, they were hypocrites. They were liars with an agenda. The language speaks of play actors, people that are acting. They know that it's wrong. They know that there's no power involved in their message. They know there's no truth, no salvation, but they're acting all clean and polished on the outside to make it look as though uh, they've got life and they've got hope. When there's a deliberate pretense behind it and behind their lie is deliberate falsehood. And Jesus told us that that would happen. It's been explicitly told us, like in Matthew 24, 24, the Olivet Discourse, speaking about the end times, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. In Acts 20, 30, Paul writes to the Ephesian elders, also from among yourselves men will rise up. And you know what? They did. We're writing to a young pastor, Timothy, where his elders have risen up, speaking perverse things to draw away who? The? The? Okay, the disciples. Followers of Jesus, departing from the faith, following after these guys. Romans 16, 18 says, those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. By smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. And you know what? That's really the spirit of the Antichrist that we read about in the end times. That he will be a great orator, just able to just words like honey. And people will follow him, even though he speaks lies and hypocrisy. These are guys that Paul tells Timothy in the second epistle, having a form of godliness, but they deny its power from such people turn away. These teachers... Our text tells us today, have had their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That word seared is the Greek word cauterizo. You know where to go with that, don't you? Cauterize. The NASB says they've had their own conscience seared as with a branding iron. We get that here, don't we? Like, how come when you the calf, you know, it, it just doesn't get all infected in it? Well, you know, because you just, you just, Seared it right shut, you know. My dad was a veterinarian. That's how they talked at the shotgun ranch branding the other day. Seared it shut. Okay. Um, seared it right shut. My dad was a vet, and, you know, he used to have these crazy-looking long matchsticks that had, um, like, nitric acid or something on the end of it. And, you know, when there was a wound or a little wound, a little bit of bleeding, he'd just whip out one of those matchsticks and just kind of, you could kind of hear it. I was like, Ooh. But uh, 
But that's exactly what happened to these guys. They, they're false teachers now, but at one point they were elders of the church at Ephesus. And for some reason, over a period of time of going from a green room to a lighter green room, to a more of a bluish room, to a no, and all the way to a blue room, it's like, their heart has been seared. They're numb. They don't feel anything anymore. They don't hear from him anymore. Their conscience is seared. This is the fourth and final time in 1 Timothy that Paul talks about the conscience. In chapter 1, verse 5, the purpose of the commandment is love from a good conscience. Or 1 Timothy 1.19, having faith and a good conscience. 1 Timothy 3.9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. So the Lord desires from us a good conscience, good conscience, pure conscience, and a feeling tender conscience. You know, and in the book of Hebrews, it says that we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, and we've been washed to be given a clean conscience so that now we can serve the Lord Jesus. And I would just ask you today, do you have a clean, pure, good conscience before the Lord? Reading through the book of Acts right now, and I read about Paul giving a, a testimony before uh, Felix, uh, a Roman governor, a Roman uh, official, and he says, I have in all good conscience served the Lord to this day. Do you have a good, pure conscience? Well, what were these guys doing that made them so, so crafty, so hypocritical? What was their message? What's the big deal anyways? Well, verse 3 says that these guys were forbidding to marry. So whatever they were teaching, a couple of cute little lovebirds, 19-year-olds, just ready to go and tie the knot, some holy nuptials. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> you are not doing that. That is against the holy writ. That is against the Lord. You can't be a follower of Jesus and be married. It's in the Bible somewhere. It's not, just in case you're wondering. It's not in the Bible anywhere, okay? Uh, and so they, they would forbid it. They would prevent it and hinder it. They would refuse marriage, which in the Greek, by the way, is the word gameo. No more games, no more marriage. It's forbidden. But the Bible tells us that marriage is honorable among all and that the bed is undefiled. I don't have time to get into it because there is a point behind this message today. But uh, the early church actually began to drift away from the word of God when uh, the, the apostles and the faith began to merge into what's more known as Roman Catholicism now. And so they began to go into uh, not just receiving the word of God as the authorities, but the magisterium, which is the, the body of traditions, the big book of traditions, as well as hearing from the Pope. And that began authority over the word of God. And so at that point, uh, you see, even from early on, it wasn't long after just kind of the departure from like, here's our authority, whatever we do, it's right here. It was just kind of like, but also what he says. And also, what, and, and more what he says, more what he says, oh, more what we've done, more what we've done and what he says. And then it just, it's so easy to drift into that little bit bluer room. You know what I'm saying? And so when you read the early church fathers, they began to forbid marriage, say that intimacy in marriage is evil, on and on and on. I've got a ton of quotes, don't have time today. 
Uh, then you enter in the Protestant Reformation and the Puritans, and they brought back the Word of God and this design for marriage and being fruitful and multiplying and, and the love and the intimacy that you can read about on your own time in the Song of Solomon. And, uh, and then marriage, honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. And so a forbidding of marriage, and then going on to say, and commanding to abstain from foods. So there's a forbidding of marriage and intimacy in that capacity. And then also be away from and avoid uh, foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So there was a, some sort of a list of foods that those are off limits. Okay, When really God had created these foods. And, and you can receive them and be thankful about it and celebrate and praise God, especially as you know what the Bible says about eating those foods. You're, you're eating it in light of the word of God. You're eating it in light of the gospel. Uh, you know what the word says about these things, uh, that abuse uh, could be a horrible thing of any one of these foods. Uh, and, and yet it doesn't take away its proper use of these foods. And I can eat it. Uh, with thanksgiving, uh, because I know the gospel, I know the creation, I know the role, I know the purpose of God uh, for me. I'm to glorify him. The world needs to hear about him. And so whatever this food or drink may be, is it advancing the kingdom of God? Is it advancing my discipleship? Or is it pulling me away from the kingdom of God? And is it robbing God of his glory? Okay? <laughs> and so um, what you have here is what's called asceticism. Okay, probably not saying that right. Asceticism. asceticism. Anyways, uh, and what that is, is a, an outward appearance of righteousness because I do or do not do something that God does not forbid. So I'm self-righteous. I'm righteous because of my behavior and my observances even though I'm abstaining and I'm commanding others to abstain from things that God never said to abstain from. And so these people have, have stepped away from a salvation that was based on the provision of Jesus Christ, the grace of God towards sinners and redeeming them from their sin. And they began to heap upon themselves self-righteousness because of what I do do or don't do and what I look like as I do it. And I'm a hypocrite because I know what's going on in here and that the issue in here has not been taken care of. But on the outside, I look all polished and I'm intimidating to people and I'm dragging them into bondage, telling them, you can't do that either. You have to be like me. Does that make sense? Probably not. Go read a book about it. It's not my job to explain the Bible. Oh, it is. It actually is my job. Should have put more work into this. Um. Verse 4 says, for every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So every creature that God has created, it's, it's advantageous to use it properly. It's actually beautiful. It's an important thing to do that. God created his creation for the glory of himself. And so as we are rightly, properly using it, 
He's actually glorified in it. The kingdom is displayed and the gospel is preached. And so Guthrie says, he's a New Testament uh, scholar, professor, says, what is at stake here is our whole conception of God. When we begin to drift away into false gospels, we're preaching a false gospel. We're telling people, this is what God is. This is what he demands. This is what he likes or doesn't like when God never said that. We're, we're preaching a false Christ. And what's at stake is the whole conception of who God is. R. Kent Hughes says, God is never properly worshipped by a denial of his gifts. And self-denying asceticism, especially in its external public display, moves one away from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So we're never properly worshiping God when we deny the gifts that he's given us. That doesn't mean there might not be certain convictions or discipline that we can walk in in grace. But we're looking at here, the context is asceticism. Asceticism. I should really look at the word and read it, sound it out, but we've got time for that. Um, And so as you read Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, you've got the created things of God given. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there's life. I've given every green herb for food. And so it was, or and it was so. And then Genesis 9.30. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as the green herb. Look at Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, the wisest man in the world. Here is what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him for it is his heritage. So what God has created is good and it's been used for good food and good drink. Okay, we're not going to get into it today, but to do an in-depth studies of liberties And that we need to know that God does demand holiness and a good testimony and a good witness as we partake of these items, okay? So when we're talking of liberties, we need to be, first of all, holy, which means never drunk, never stoned, okay? So we do have certain things given to us that say, look, that whole herb thing that I know you just circled in your Bible and you're like, woo-hoo, okay? Back up just a minute, okay? Because, you know, the studies will show that that herb you're so excited about brings immediate lack of sober-mindedness, okay? There's just extreme caution there. And we want to walk in wisdom. We want to walk in the same wisdom with Other liberties, such as drinking wine or beer, okay? Um, Those are liberties. Those are freedoms that we do have. But, man, some of you don't have that liberty because of your past and your propensities to abuse that thing. Also, we need to be aware of those around us and their conscience and their conviction 
and we should never stumble them. We should always walk in vigilance. How do they feel about this? Where are they at as a brother? Would I be leading them into temptation by doing this? And finally, our sober-mindedness to be able to, at any point, at the drop of a hat, be able to preach the gospel because we know the word of God and in truth and we're prayerful. Are we, are we really representing the Lord in our use of our liberties? Okay? So, all that to be said, every creature of God is good. Amen? It should be uh, not refused if it's received with thanksgiving. Now, what happens when we receive it with thanksgiving? You're there, you know, you're at a special family dinner. There's a glass of wine there. You have a theology of, of wine, you know, that, you know, I have this liberty. I'm aware of everybody around me that, you know, nobody here has a struggle with this. Um, we're able to worship the Lord even in the consumption of this beverage, never to the point of drunkenness. We know where we can go, how far we can go, and still be absolutely blameless before the Lord uh, as Jesus was when he drank the wine. And um, I'm able to be a witness. But as I go towards that drinking of the wine, and I've got a big bowl of pasta in front of me, and I'm able to thank the Lord, pray and bless the meal. As I go into my meal with worship and thanksgiving, and I'm worshiping, man, that, that line is so much, so much, it's more of a brick wall. I'm not going to cross this because I'm, I'm worshiping here. I'm not going to cross that line. It's a wall because I'm worshiping. We're worshiping with this here. Okay? So uh, lots of opinions on that. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, <coughs> uh, open-handedness there with humility. Um, but the food that's been given, you know, you don't just go and mow down a stick of butter. All right? It's not real good for you. You could do it. Make sure you're thankful looking at the word and be like, okay, um, yeah, there's other things here that I could also eat that would be more edifying, right? Okay, but nothing's to be refused. Um, this is the only place in the New Testament that it's said this. And uh, if it's received with that thanksgiving, and it's interesting to study the practice of blessing your meal before and after, that Jesus blessed the meal before and after he ate. Even Paul, when he's in the midst of a storm on a sea, um, we haven't eaten in two weeks. Guys, you need to eat. It's been two weeks. Hold on a minute. Dear Lord, you know, I'm hungry here. We bless the food around here, buddy. You know, thank you for this food. You're the bread of life. Yes. We, you know, hand it out. All right. But what a wonderful practice that we see Jesus and the apostles with. Closing on this subject, G.K. Chesterton said, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the play and the opera and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching and painting, swimming and fencing and boxing and walking and playing and dancing and grace before I dip the pen in ink. We are to be saying grace every minute of our lives. This gives glory to God. And this informs our eating and drinking practices and our liberty so that God can be glorified and the gospel can be proclaimed. <clears throat> Verse 5, for it is sanctified with the word of God and prayer. Now, if you'll just bear with me, my clock says I have 11 and a half more minutes, so just buck up, okay? 
How interesting that we come to this passage in 1 Timothy the week we head into five days of prayer and fasting. You know, um, I just find it interesting because you have false teachers that command to abstain from food, and yet that doesn't negate the very biblical necessary practice of abstaining from food for the sake of worshiping the Lord and drawing near and showing your dependence upon him. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And nobody reads that and goes, I ain't praying. Christians don't pray. Of course, you're like, yeah, when I pray, this is how I should pray. A few verses later in Matthew 6, 16, moreover, when you fast. And many Christians read that and go, that is so old school. Who does that? Who fasts? Nobody fasts anymore. That is like, that's for like the Gandhis, you know, and the guys that wear like camel skin shirts, you know, and, you know, typically if anybody fasts, they're just a little cuckoo for cocoa puffs, only not cocoa puffs, cuckoo for locusts and honey, I think, but, but the truth is, disciples of Jesus, we want everything the Lord has for us. And something that he has for us as believers is this incredible tool and weapon, a means of grace, of fasting. John Piper said, not doing some things you feel like doing is the daily pattern for the disciples of Jesus. That's what we do daily. And daily in our lives, there's things that come across our path that we say, you know what, my flesh I just want to do that. But you know what? Even if it's a good thing, I'm not going to do it right now. I'm not going to do it. I'm disciplined. The Lord is saying, no, not today, not right now. Or maybe it's a full-blown, not ever. Okay? As followers of Jesus, we've got to learn to say no. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the passage we're in with the youth right now on Tuesdays. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a follower of Jesus? It's rhetorical. Don't answer. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, so you've, you've established that. When was the last time you denied yourself for Jesus? I want this. I want to go here, buy this, be with this, be with her, eat this, drink that, this, that, and the other. When was the last time you just said, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not today. Not today. For Jesus today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny myself that. I'm going to live the life of a disciple. Paul would speak all throughout the New Testament of discipline and self-control. And he would say in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the life of a disciple is a life of discipline. Okay? How is that going for you in your life? Honestly, you're a Christian. How are you disciplining yourself? And Paul says, I discipline my body. I let it 
I, I, I keep it in control. I don't just let my body do whatever it wants because it will take me to do things that are harmful. Maybe even things that aren't forbidden, but things that aren't good. And so I discipline. I say, no, not today or not ever. <clears throat> but that's the non-injurious translation of 1 Corinthians 9.27. Literally, Paul says, I give my body the black eye. <laughs> that's literally what he wrote there in the Greek. I give my body the black eye, and I make it a slave. In other words, you're not in charge around here, Rory Rogers' body. You want to do all sorts of things that are contrary to the Bible, contrary to Jesus, contrary to what's good and right and a good witness, and you don't get to do it today. No! It's good for us to tell our children no. It's good for us to tell ourselves no. I give my body the black eye. You're not doing it. You're not going there. Not doing something we want to do is a daily practice for Christians. Richard Foster is the professor of theology and writer in residence at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. He's best known for his book, uh, Celebration of Discipline. Listen to what he says. The disciplined person is the person who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Now I can take a basketball and I can get it into a basketball hoop eventually, but I cannot take a basketball and get it into the basketball hoop when it needs to be gotten into the hoop. You can see that I am not a disciplined basketball player, but this ability to have the power to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done is so crucial in all of life. It's never more central than in the life of the spirit, Foster says, because it is the life that impregnates and infiltrates and dominates absolutely everything we do. It is the disciplined person who can feast when feasting is called for. We love that at this church. We have a little joke that we don't meet unless we eat, you know. Um, So, man, you know what, guys? It's time to eat. Well, I don't really. You're going to eat today. You're going to like it. You know, the disciplined person can eat when it's time and the need to eat. And they can fast when fasting is called for. In fact, the glutton and the extreme ascetic have precisely the same problem. They cannot do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. All right. So what do we do in our times of the week of prayer and fasting? essentially to some capacity. And this is where I want you to just go to prayer right now and just ask the Lord, Lord, in what capacity this week do you want me to slap my flesh in the face and tell it, you're not in charge around here? What are those things that it is just getting away with? And it's time to bring it and make it a slave and bring it into submission Fasting is a prescription given by the heavenly doctor. He knows how to sow to the spirit. And so he's given us fasting to learn and grow in sowing to the spirit. I want to quote a couple quotes from David Brainerd. David Brainerd was uh, alive just before the Revolutionary War. And uh, he was a student at Yale and was very involved and very just coming up and just as an excellent student at Yale. And then Yale began to compromise 
doctrine and go into just exactly what we're talking about, actually just immoral stuff. And he stood up for the truth, and he was kicked out of Yale. And so he went on to be a missionary, a circuit preacher, riding his horse around to the Native Americans on the East Coast, preaching the gospel regularly. Uh, I just love this guy. If you know me, you know this, this is like my hero type of a guy, you know. Um, and so, but he would end up uh, dying a brutal death um, of a disease when he was 26 years old. So think of how old you are. I'm going to read a little bit from David Brainerd when he's about 25 years old. Look at the disciplines of this guy's life. He says, my time passes away so swiftly that I'm astonished when I reflect how little I sow to the spirit. My state of solitude does not make the hours hang heavy upon my mind. Oh, what reason of thankfulness I have on account of this retirement in this time of fasting. I do not lead a Christian life when I'm abroad and cannot spend time in devotion, Christian conversation, and meditation. When you're on the mission field, you, you get that in some senses because, you know, you're there and you finally get a chance to, to sleep. And then, like, you open your eyes and there's, like, you know... It, it's like time to get about the mission. You know, I, I just need some time to, and you know, you're almost like drug out of bed to go get to work, you know, and you just need times away with Jesus. Jesus got that. He had to get away and go spend time in prayer. <clears throat> he said, those weeks that I'm obliged to be from home in order to learn the Indian tongue are mostly spent in barrenness. And I feel myself a stranger to the throne of grace when I return home and give myself to meditation prayer and fasting, a new scene opens, and my soul longs for mortification. If you know what that means, it means killing your flesh. Like, you don't get to be, it always wants to come back. No, get back down, get back down, okay? Uh, my soul longs for putting it in its place, for self-denial, for humility, and, from di uh, and divorcement from all things of this world. He goes on to say, Feeling my extreme weakness and want of grace, I set apart this day for fasting and prayer. My soul intensely longed that the dreadful spots and stains of my sin might be washed away. My mind was greatly fixed on divine things. My resolution for a life of mortification, continual watchfulness, self-denial, seriousness, and devotion to God, they were strong and fixed. My desires ardent and intense, my conscience tender and afraid of every appearance of evil. My soul was grieved with the reflection on my past levity and want of resolution for God. I solemnly renewed my dedication of myself to God and I longed for grace to enable me always to keep my covenant with him. Sound like you when you were 25? About, just about right there? Yeah, just like, oh my goodness, I just see that when I'm busy and I'm working and I'm out there and I'm just... You know, and I'm just about the routine of life that I just find, man, I'm just not longing for Jesus. And I'm not showing, I'm not desperate for Jesus. I'm not crying out to Jesus that I'm desperate for him. And I just long for those times when I come back and I just get re-synced in the presence of God uh, so that I can, I can be effective for him. I can, be, uh, I can just be synced to his mind, my heart beating to the rhythm of his heart. And so what fasting does is it's those times where we, we take physical hunger and we get real hungry and we transpose it to a spiritual key. We, we would say, just as I'm hungry right now, I'm hungry for you, God. 
So take my stomach and make it a longer for you. That's what fasting is. It's a time where we just say, man, as much as I want a double bacon cheeseburger right now, and I want it, I'm going to say no to that. And I'm going to turn it to, I want you. I want you. You are the source of life. You meet my deepest need. I eat a hamburger. It's like over just like that. But you, you are lasting. You are enduring. You are the source of life. You, I want you. And every year it's the same thing. You know, you fast and just depending. I mean, don't, don't have any trip put on you. But, you know, let's say you did do like a five-day total fast. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, it's like almost, it's almost time to eat. I have like one hour left. Okay, 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 do I have a minute to go? Okay, 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 15 minutes. And then, and, you know, sometimes you like plan it out. It's going to be kind of a celebration thing. Last week I broke the fast with a hot dog and some macaroni and cheese. And it was just like, face is all yellow. You know, I'm just like, it's done. It's done. Uh, that was not worth it. <laughs> so at least plan your breaking of your fast well. You know, to be honest with you guys, <coughs> there's just times when, hey, the fast is coming up. The fast, it's coming up. And I'm like, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> My flesh doesn't like it. You know, I know, I know the, some of the pain. I passed out once in my living room during a fast. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I, I get really cold at night. I have to, like, wear sweaters and sweats and turn on the electric. I get cold. I don't know what the deal is. It's just, you know, I have to take baths, you know, to bring my body, you know, just different things like that. I just, my flesh doesn't like it. And I like to eat. I really, really love to eat. And it's just funny because as the days come nearer, the Lord's just working in me where he, he's like reminding me of, oh, but remember how rich those times are with me? And now I'm like excited about it again. And I encourage you guys, just, just believe, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. The Spirit expressly says, all right, that if you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. Look, look at me. A dude that loves to eat, that technically, if you look it up online, I'm, I'm borderline obese. Like, I'm, I'm almost there. That's like, that's my BMI or whatever you call it. IBS, whatever you call that thing. And it's just like, bud, you're, you're almost there. I love to eat. And I love the fellowship with eating. I make the elders waffles every Come on over, elders. are making your waffles. Waffles, 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 waffles. We're having waffles, guys. We're having waffles. We're going to have waffles. All right, but listen to me, there is nothing as powerful and rich and sweet as saying, man shall not live on bread alone. I'm going to live on every word that comes from you, Lord. And so I just invite you guys, just listen to me, just listen. Worship team, come up. That means we're done. Okay, worship team, Carrie, were you on the worship team today? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Worship team, come on up. Okay. Let's, there's freedom this week. Freedom this week, okay? Here's the deal. We're going to be meeting down here three times a day. We all agree that the Lord calls us to gather regularly, right? So this is a time during the week that we get to say, all right, like I'm going to just, I'm going to try to practice New Testament Christianity of regularly gathering together daily with the saints, with the Christians. All right, Lord, so I hear you out. Okay, so 6 a.m., just before work, I'll come 
my schedule's this or my schedule's that, man, but I could be there for 15 minutes. I can be there for, I can, you know, so come, 6 a.m., come down here. It's a little bit of fasting from sleep maybe, okay? Then at noon, right, uh, normally you would eat at noon. So use your lunch break to come down and to be with us and to pray and to worship. And then in the evening, normally when you live for yourself, Everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody's working for the evening. We all know it. We all do it. And you just go, you turn on the TV, and you just eat. And, go. and now it's like, no, no. I'm going to go, I'm going to gather together, and I'm going to pray during this fast. As Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're going to get into the word again this year. We're going to read through the letters of Paul. Okay, so out in the foyer, you can pick up a half sheet. And what we do in these times is we gather together, and uh, every session we're going to read seven chapters of the Bible together, okay? How many of you read seven chapters? Of, you know, it's like, man, how, how many of you get one chapter a day in? I mean, it's rare, right? Just be honest. This is a time where you can be like, all right, I get to just dig into the Word. I've never read the epistles of Paul. I've never, who's Paul, okay? You're going to learn about Paul, okay? You're going to read the letters that Paul the Apostle wrote. This dude saw Jesus, by the way. You might want to read what he wrote all right and we are going to gather and it's it's really fun it's fun for the kids they come we get in a circle and everybody reads 10 verses so 10 verses 10 verses 10 verses 10 verses 10 verses 10. and it's just a rich time the kids are soaking in the word and we worship and we pray we pray the word of god over us we apply the word of god that we read that day towards us and we seek the lord of what the lord had for us in that time so i encourage you Pick up one of these, because even if you can't make it to one of our meetings, uh, you'll have this, and you'll be able to kind of be in sync with the church, uh, where the church is at, and what the church is reading. So there's that. So the gatherings, the readings, and then let me just encourage you on the foodings, okay? On the foodings. No doubt some of you are like, five days without eating, whoa, blah. Or maybe you've done it before here, and you just don't really want to this year. I get that. We get that. And maybe you're not really feeling led to just like totally fast totally. Then I encourage you, man, maybe it's, I'm going to fast breakfast, lunch, and the normal dinner time. And when I get back from the gathering on the, in the evening, I'm going to eat a smaller meal, maybe a less extravagant meal than I normally would. And you can just have it be a one day. I think Matt Vaughn said once that uh, falling down the stairs, it's really just a series of one foot falls. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's what this is going to be. Okay? It's not as bad. Falling down the stairs isn't as bad as you think. <laughs> Neither is fasting. It's just a series. Just make it a series of... Here, Brian, hear me out, buddy. Hear me out. <laughs> maybe for you, you're like, I can, I can do that. I can do that. Or maybe it's just lunch. Or maybe it's, I got to eat. I got health conditions, all that. But I'm not going to watch TV this week. I'm not going to drink Starbucks this week. I'm going to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Amen? Let's seek the Lord together. Let's stand.